Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. It will be a time of motivation, inspiration, education, always done without any type of manipulation. If you're a first-time listener to the Flatline, we're not here to con you. We're not here to uh, trick you, to recruit you. We're just here to give you accurate information, information that may help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. If I can do that, I've been successful because you have the choice to orient and adjust to the plan or continue down the my way highway. That's up to you. But my job is to be accurate, not to give some human speculation but to give you accurate information based on divine principles, promises found in the Word of God. It's a show about the Bible. It's uh, not a show about religion. It's a show about the Bible. So listen up for the next few minutes. If you would like to catch up any of these past shows, you can always contact me through our website. That's rickhughesministries.org, rickhughesministries.org. Dot org. We have all of our radio shows uh, listed on MP3s. They are free. There's never a charge for anything we do. We'll be glad to send you any of the radio shows or all the radio shows, all 600 if you like them. Anyhow, that's up to you. If you want to catch up, fine. But last week, we uh, started a small brief study on reversionism, on the believer who reverses his course and begins to go backwards in his spiritual life. He has an arrested spiritual development, I will call it. What do I mean by that? I mean he's saved, he's a Christian, he's going to heaven, but he is ignoring his spiritual life. He's allowed his old sin nature to get control of him, and he's moved into what the Bible calls carnality. That means he has unconfessed sin in his life, he's quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit, and even though he may look Christian, talk Christian, walk Christian, and he is, in fact, a Christian, that's not the point. But he is just being a a, a hypocrite, I would say. He's assuming a role he's not really living. Yes, he's saved. Yes, he's going to heaven. Yes, he has accepted Christ as his Savior. But his spiritual life has been arrested. Satan has won that battle. He's not growing spiritually. He's not advancing spiritually. He's stalled out spiritually. And usually, he becomes vulnerable to some sort of demon influence, not demon possession. No Christian can ever be demon-possessed. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan cannot possess any Christian, but he can influence us. The Bible says there are a lot of doctrine of demons that float around. And this is called religion. Organized religion publishes the doctrine of demons. So your thinking becomes clouded by a satanic smokescreen when you buy into the doctrine of demons and you begin to believe all sorts of garbage. And that causes you to try to fill the void in your life left by the empty spiritual vacuum that should be there. There's no fulfillment with God, no fellowship with God, no fun with God. And there's a void. And so inside, people who get into reversionism and arrested spiritual development, seek to try to find that fulfillment in another area. 
often they they'll sometimes accept false doctrine, stuff that's not true. Listen to First Timothy four one. But the Spirit says that in the latter periods of time, I don't know when that is. I know that it's we're in the latter period of time. We're in what's called the church age, and it terminates with the rapture of the church or the exit resurrection. So whenever this latter period of time is, and between the first and second advent is all I know, some believers, Paul went on to write to Timothy, will become apostate from Bible doctrine, paying attention to deceitful spirits and concentrating on doctrines of demons. That's the rejection of truth. That's getting involved with the cosmic system, the spirit of times. And it always leads to a frantic search for happiness. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 4, there will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is a sad thing to say, that a person who has been saved by the grace of God, whose salvation was purchased by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross, has now become a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Love is the greatest motivational factor in life. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 3, If you love me, you will obey me, and my mandates are not hard. So when you begin to be motivated by pleasure rather than motivated by love, that's a sad commentary on your life. That's a frantic search for happiness. That's you going down the my way highway. And it can take a lot of different directions. You know, you'll ask yourself, what can I do to fill up my empty life? Is it friends? Is it uh, material things? Is it romance? Money? What is it? And here's a great principle. I would like for you to remember this principle, if you don't mind. If you're not happy with what you have now, then you will never be content or happy with what you'll have in the future. Because the bottom line is unhappy people take their unhappiness with them wherever they go. And the reason for that is they do not have capacity for life. They don't have capacity for love. And so nothing that you achieve or receive will give you contentment without capacity. Capacity is you having the ability to have happiness right where you are. Paul said that uh, he was completely happy whether he was. He said whether I have a lot or whether I have a little doesn't make any difference to me. David talked about his cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy would follow him all the days of his life. And, and that's a metaphor for blessings by uh, God just pouring blessing into his life. You know, God wants to pour blessing into your life in a lot of different ways. However, with you being out of fellowship, with you living in unconfessed sin, with you going down the my way highway in the frantic search for happiness, there's no blessing God can give you. You couldn't handle it. You don't have the capacity to handle it. Capacity is simply the word contentment. If you are content with what you have, then you have the capacity for God to bless you with more without it destroying you, without you being distracted. Without capacity, any blessing would distract you, maybe even destroy you. So this gives you a principle that we all need to remember. Our happiness has nothing to do with people or circumstances. It's not what we have or what we don't have. 
The only true happiness you will ever experience is found in Luke 11:27 and 28, where the Bible says happiness belongs to those who hear my Father's word and keep it. That's called momentum in the plan of God, hearing and consistently keeping the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As you sit under the ministry of a well-qualified pastor and you listen to him teach the Bible and you learn the principles and the precepts and the word of God, you have the capacity to enjoy life and to have great happiness. Without that, you'll be living strictly on human viewpoint thinking. You will turn to your friends for solutions. You'll turn to the newspaper writers for solutions. But you won't be able to come up with your own solutions because human solutions are no solutions. Divine solutions are the only solutions. So Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your lifestyle be free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, this is the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The tragic thing about the frantic search for happiness is it leads to what's called Operation Boomerang. The Aborigine natives in Australia have a, a weapon called a boomerang. And they, we know they throw it out and try to hit a varmint, and if it misses the varmint, the boomerang will return to them. They can pick it up and throw it again. When you get into Operation Boomerang, what happens is this. You go off down the My Way Highway looking for something, trying to fulfill your life with some sort of pleasure or contentment or goal, but you never find it, and your misery increases. It intensifies. Your unhappiness increases as happiness becomes more elusive in your life. The ones that you trust, the ones you think are going to fulfill your life, they'll usually abandon you. Usually it's some sort of cosmic recruiter that the devil has that lured you into some system of some organization, and then they abandon you when you don't give them what they need or fulfill their objectives. God has never abandoned you. Even though you might have turned your back on him, he never turned his back on you. That cosmic recruiter that I talked about, that's the one that Satan will use to lure you into the world's system of promises as you seek the deadened pain of your empty life. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need, to impress people we don't like, to deaden the pain of our empty life. So, you want to get into Operation Boomerang? What you thought would make you happy turned out to be only a temporary fix. And now your misery intensifies. Now you're losing control of your life, and, and your life begins to break up, and you can't stop the vicious cycle of emotional distraught that's tearing you apart because nothing will satisfy you. Everything you have will only be a temporary fix, and you will yearn for peace, you will yearn for fulfillment, You'll never find it. The arrogance of unhappiness, once that sets in, even romance, sex, promotion on the job, prosperity, it will not equal happiness in your life. You don't have the capacity for any of those things. 
nor the problem-solving devices to maintain those things that I just mentioned. I mean, romance doesn't solve problems, it creates problems. Sex doesn't solve problems, it creates problems. All of these problems, they all come as a result of you walking away from the plan of God. What kind of problems? Jealousy, abuse, guilt, bitterness. I mean, look at it. Romance leads to jealousy. Sex leads to guilt. Promotion leads to bitterness. Those who didn't get promoted are bitter. Prosperity leads to abuse. There it is. It's all right there for you. All of these things lead to emotional revolt of the soul. Operation Boomerang is the first step into emotional revolt of the soul. You know, you've got emotions, and so do I, but they were never designed by God to create policy or to guide our life. They were designed to be an appreciator, and that's fine. Let's get one thing straight right now. Worship of God is not an emotional experience. That's what organized religion turned it into today, an emotional experience, with all the sights, sounds, and music, and drama, and everything in the world. Worship is thinking and appreciating what God did for you. When emotions demand that your thinking becomes irrational, then they have no content, no rationality, no virtue. The Christian life is not designed to be lived on emotion. Emotion is wonderful in the right place. But when it takes precedence over your thinking, then it divorces the soul of the believer like me and you. It divorces us from reality. And what it does is it substitutes some sort of irrational uh, thinking combined with some sort of arrogance. We call it artificial intelligence, arrogance and ignorance. Once those things set in, you can bet you will get into some sort of psychosis. Mental illness will follow. You'll be a psychotic believer. Your biblical priorities are all washed away. You have no more divine norms and standards. And you will actually begin to attack truth. You will have permanent negative volition. You will be perpetually carnal. You will never understand God's plan for your life since you got into this Operation Boomerang. With no doctrine in your soul, you'll wind up thinking like an unbeliever thinks. And eventually, you'll get antagonistic to truth because it'll hurt. You won't like it. From the soul, your blackout will be formed. Your soul will actually black out. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 talks about the blackout of the soul from the scar tissue that is formed in the soul. Ephesians 4, 17 gives the technical word for the blackout of the soul. The technical word, as I'll pronounce it in the Greek for you, is matiotes. Matiotes in Ephesians 4, 17 is translated vanity of the mind. Matiotes is a vacuum and a vacuum that absorbs false doctrine. A vacuum that absorbs false doctrine. You know, if you create a vacuum, the pressure on the outside is greater than the pressure on the inside. 
you could actually take a test tube and put a Kleenex in there, set it on fire, set a boiled egg that has been peeled on top of it, and you can watch, and the boiled egg will eventually go down into the test tube once the Kleenex burns up all the oxygen in the test tube. So the pressure on the outside will act like a finger. It'll be greater than the pressure on the inside. There's no oxygen left, and it'll push it right down inside there. That's what happens to the mind of the believer who gets that vacuum. Through demon influence, influencing by evil, not demon possession, no. But what happens is the human viewpoint and the false doctrine, demon doctrines, demon influence begins to sift down into your soul. And your soul will be scarred up. The lights will go out inside of your soul. Nothing will be clear anymore. That's the result of you not staying filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the result of you not being consistently exposed to accurate Bible teaching. And when that soul blackout occurs, it's a big mess for you. The Bible uses in Ephesians 4.17, understanding darkened. When your understanding is darkened, the Greek words go tizo. That means that your norms and standards are washed away. They're blacked out. You don't know right from wrong. You're not able to determine right from wrong. You get involved in the cosmic system that Satan has. I mean, the norms and standards that your parents instilled in you that were there to protect you and to keep you from self-destructing, these are the very things that Satan would like for you to forget about. For example, listen to 2 Corinthians 2.11. Do not let any advantage be taken of you by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Ephesians 6.17, or 6.11, excuse me. Put on the armor of God so you might be able to stand your ground against the tactics of the devil. Ephesians 4.27, do not give place to the devil. And 1 Peter 5.8-9, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. You know, the strategy of Satan towards the human race is to corrupt, to corrupt our volition on two fronts. Number one, to corrupt the gospel, so he attacks the gospel. He obscures the gospel so that the content is not accurate. It's not faith alone in Christ alone. It's faith plus baptism or faith plus yielding or faith plus giving up or faith plus doing something. And then he can establish a system of religion in which that system works replaces the function of grace. And so works begins to be the means of spirituality. I'm spiritual because I don't drink. I'm spiritual because I don't smoke. I'm spiritual because I don't cuss. I'm spiritual because of whatever. Spirituality is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you're spiritual when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're carnal when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And if, like in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and the scribes walked around promenading their self-righteousness, if you begin to think that you're spiritual because you look spiritual, you sound spiritual, you talk spiritual, you're dead wrong. So Satan does a good job of hiding the gospel. If our gospel has been veiled, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, it's veiled to the ones who are going to perish, in whose case the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the thinking, the thinking 
of those who are unbelievers so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who's the image of God. That's his first objective. But he will also attack you to get you to reject truth, to make it seem unimportant, to get you to buy into false doctrine like legalism and to get you distracted so that he can neutralize your spiritual life. If he can do that, then the importance of the Word of God is placed aside in your life and you're hindered from ever executing God's plan. If your soul blacks out with scotizo, you will be exactly as the Bible says, Ephesians 5.18, have your understanding darkened, alienated from God's plan because of the ignorance in you from the scar tissue of your heart. If your heart begins to get hard, the hard heart, the scripture talks about scar tissue of the soul a lot of places. In Proverbs 25, 14, he who hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. In Hebrews 3, 8, the writer warned you not to harden your heart. Hardening your heart is scar tissue on the thinking of your soul. When you put things in your soul that don't belong there, you scar up your soul. Hardening the neck in Nehemiah 9.16, this was the insubordination to the point of revolt during the exodus from slavery in Egypt. They did not listen to the mandates of God. They refused to obey God. They were not impressed with God's miracle. They even elected a false leader. They got a hard neck. They stiffened their hearts. And... Proverbs 21, 29, a wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he directs, he, God, will direct his way. When you get scar tissue, you can't distinguish even the Christian from the the non-Christian. Both of them are very anti-authority. The believer with scar tissue has lost his norms and standards. The scar tissue builds up in his soul to where there's no conviction, There's no guilt. And eventually he's going to get into some sort of degeneracy. And maybe not immoral degeneracy. That's what you're thinking about. Moral degeneracy is there too. A morally degenerate person will kill you in the name of God. And he thinks he's doing God a favor. The immoral degenerate, you know where he is. You can find him at the (laughs) honky-tonk. If you're looking for him, he just wants a drink and a woman or a man, but the moral degenerate is the self-righteous religious person who thinks God is impressed with their works, and they will be quick to condemn you if you don't live up to their expectations. The morally degenerate people are the very ones who crucified our Lord, who plotted to kill him. They were called the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They put together a plan to execute the Lord Jesus Christ, and he nailed them for what they were in Matthew 23 and 24. Read it for yourself. In Romans 2, 5, but because of the hardness of the heart and the unrepentant mind, you gather up and accumulate wrath for yourself against the day of wrath, even the manifestation of the just judgment of God. That's what happens. It's coming. You can write it down. 
the person with scar tissue who is a believer in Jesus Christ who entered into reversionism and has gone through Operation Boomerang is in for a lot of hurt. Discipline from God. Those whom I love, I discipline, God said in Hebrews 12, 6. Sometimes I have to scourge him with a whip. There's warning discipline. There is intense discipline. And the Bible even talks about dying discipline. Read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, you can see it. Dying discipline. This is when God removes a believer and takes them home early because of their scar tissue, lack of testimony, and what they've gotten into in Operation Boomerang and their reversionism. person like this is past feelings. No feelings at all. No guilt. When you get to the point to where you don't feel guilty about your sin, you are in the dangerous place of no return. Once you enter that sort of behavior, you start the process of reversing the direction of your spirituality. You're not going forward. You're going backwards into degeneracy. All truth is now reverted in your life. And all of this comes about because you spent tremendous times in carnality. You didn't rebound. You became the enemy of God, James 4, 4. You became the enemy of the cross, Philippians 3, 18. You became a hater of God. You became a double-minded believer in James 4, 8. And you've been brainwashed by the devil. You bought into satanic propaganda, unrestrained, perpetual sinness, sinfulness in your life. And here you are, drifting off course, unstable, losing your first love. This is you, the believer in Operation Boomerang, the believer who has blown everything. Is there an opportunity to get it back? Yes. Call unto me, God said, and I'll show you some great and wonderful things. Let me encourage you today. Go to God and admit your sin. Tell him what you've done. Don't hide it anymore. The Bible says he will be faithful and he will be just to forgive you. If this message is hit home to you, if it's rung true in your heart, get out of Operation Boomerang as quick as you can. Name your sin. Recover from your scar tissue. Get under the ministry of a well-qualified pastor and begin to get some divine viewpoint and let it replace the human viewpoint thinking that's entered into your soul. Your life is too valuable to waste and to be the laughing stock of Satan as he points a big finger at you and says, sucker, think about it. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.